Praise God. Thanks for coming out tonight. Thanks for coming to church and making Jesus a priority in your life. I believe because you have taken the time to honor God and placed him at a high priority in the busy seasons of life. Because you opened your heart to him and his word, he will honor you. He will honor your life. And your work will be so much better because you honored him. Amen. Amen. I want you to get your Bible out. I want to speak to you on God's travel guides, and, and then I want to get you into this altar so we can spend time in the altar. And uh, somebody told me the other day, they said, Pastor, you, you preach the same way that you do all the time, whether there's five people or whether there's 5,000. I said, yeah, I don't know any different. And you know what? You, you, you just keep moving under the giftings that God has given you. And so I want to give you a faith-building message today at Christmas. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I believe Nick has it for us. It's a very familiar text. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, everyone say, when they saw the star. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. I love it that it says, when they saw the star, that star attracted them and turned them or moved them or really drove them in the direction where the king was or the savior. That star, out of the billions of stars in the galaxy, that star popped with brilliance. It was especially bright so that it got the attention of the Magi. Well, in my study, I began to ask, well, who are the Magi? We hear these names all the time. Well, who were these guys? Well, the Greek word Magoi or Magoi in Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12 is transliterated into English into our word, the Magi or wise men. Now, we cannot know exactly who these men were. In recent years, many people have said that they belonged to a religious sect that would study astrology as a way of worshiping God. However, we do know that Matthew chapter 2 says the Magi came from the Far East. Now, most of the world, east of Israel, all the way to India, was controlled by the Persian or Parthenian Empire from 247 B.C. to A.D. 228. And this area today, we would know it as Syria or uh, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan. And at times, the Persians even controlled parts of today of Turkey or Syria, or Lebanon, and Jordan, Palestine, and even Israel. To better understand who the Magi were, we need to look at the book of Daniel. And let me take you back to when Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, he attacks Jerusalem, and he takes Daniel and his three companions with him to Babylon, and they change their names. The book of Daniel begins with Daniel being taken to Babylon. And the Magi appear prominently in the book of Daniel. And God raises up Daniel, and he literally puts him in charge of all the magi. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 9 and 5 through 11, it says that Daniel was the rab mag, or he is in charge of the, of the magi. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, it says, as he became the chief of the magi, he became ruler of the province of Babylon. In other words, he was second in charge of the powerful Persian Empire which is really mind-blowing. 
So we know based on the book of Daniel, these magi obviously were very powerful men in a very powerful Babylonian and Persian empire. Now we can see an instance of power struggle taking place between the magi and between Daniel because you look at it in Daniel chapter 6 and they are very upset that this Hebrew boy is now in charge of the Persian empire. And they're saying, how in the world did this guy advance to this level? That is exactly what happens when the favor of God rests on you. When the power of God rests on you and he advances you and he raises you up, there will be people all around you that will say, how in the world did this person advance over me? I am here longer on the job. I have more experience on the job. I am somebody that should have that job, but yet that person is advancing. That's called the favor of God. And God's favor is not fair. And Daniel, he walks with God. And we see them concoct a plan in the book of Daniel chapter 6. They knew that they could not get this man. He was above and beyond reproach. And so they concocted a plan. And you can read it to yourself, Daniel chapter 6. And they convinced the king, anyone praying to anybody else but you should be thrown into the den of lions. For they knew that Daniel prayed three times a day, every day, just as he had done before, he prayed to God. In other words, it didn't matter what the instances were, he was going to give God praise. And so they throw him in the lion's den. And we read in Daniel chapter 6 how the king or the emperor of Persia rescues Daniel out of the lion's den. And he begins to tell the whole Persian empire, we shall worship the God of Daniel. And I want you to understand that literally these Persians who were uh, really idol worshipers in one fell swoop, God raises Daniel up to bring a whole nation to Jehovah God. Well, later, the same leaders are in that area, they begin to be ruled by the Parthenians. The Magi were very influential in Parthia as well. Did you know that the Magi were the ones who were responsible for choosing the next emperor or the next Persian uh, uh, emperor or king? And so they were very influential in that area. They had an unusual amount of power. In fact, there's a sense that they were kings or lords in terms of themselves. That is why when we sing our songs about them, we say, We three kings of Orion are bearing gifts who travel so far. We are really talking about emperors or leaders themselves. Based on the history of the Magi, they're not sounding like three guys coming together on a little camel, very quiet, into the nation of Israel. No, based on what we know in this passage in Matthew, uh, that we, I can imagine that they came thundering into Jerusalem on some Arabian stallions, and they probably had an elite guard of soldiers around them. Notice in the passage of Matthew that there's no mention of the number of magi that come to worship Jesus. There's only the mention of the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. So again, Historically, what we know of the Magi, it makes them seem more like that they would come with a bodyguard. Remember, they are kings and lords that select the next emperor of the Persian Empire. And I imagine that they had a Parthenian cavalry that would come around them and defend them. Now, history tells us that the Parthenians and the Persians are the ones who defeated the Roman Empire. So you can imagine that many uh, who study this say that they think there was a small garrison of warriors that came with these guys into Jerusalem. Also, some, of the, some people believe that the Roman soldiers that usually uh, occupied Jerusalem at this time were off fighting the Homodacian War, and so Jerusalem was not protected at all, 
So here come these magi to select the next emperor of Persia. They're surrounded by a great uh, garrison of soldiers. They're coming in on on stallions, and they're carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They show up at the at the uh, at the temple. He's not there. Then they go to the palace. You can see why King Herod is very nervous. And it says that all the city was in turmoil when they show up. Now, three little guys on, on, on camels coming in very quietly would not scare anyone. But these guys coming in did. So we know they are there to select the next emperor. And you can imagine the feeling that was happening. And the Bible says when these men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. These men had to make a choice. They had to choose to follow the star or completely ignore the message that they knew it was sending. However, as they are watching the sky, the light was so bright on this one star that God chose one star that actually made the choice to follow that star. And they came from Persia to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The star was so bright because it was in the close proximity of the sun, the S-U-N. It was so close to the sun, it became brighter than all the other stars. And it was that shining light that gave direction to the seekers. It was that shining light that brought them out of other religions. And these magi, who were in other religions, they saw that star, and they said, I'm going to follow that star wherever it leads. That star had something about it that made it pop, that made it stand out. There was something about that star that was unique. It was different. And these men had studied all these other stars, but there was something different and unique about that star. While studying this, I was sitting in my office, and I thought to myself, I wonder if in their minds, when they finally get to the manger in Bethlehem, I wonder when they bow down to worship the Savior with a spirit of awe and respect, knowing the holiness of the moment, knowing that they're literally staring at deity in diapers. That's what Jesus was. Deity in diapers, divinely inspired with the knowledge that they're gazing down as something that is beyond them, that literally Jesus was deity in diapers. I believe in their minds they were thinking, I'm so glad that God put that star in my path. If God had not used that star as a travel guide, I would have never found the Savior. I would have not be here today. I would have missed the greatest moments of my life. In the middle of all my searching, in the middle of all my seeking, God thought enough of me to put a shining light and travel guide in my path to get me to the Savior. Listen, friends, we are all here, not by accident. All of us have been starstruck if you know Jesus Christ. I believe we are serving God because the Spirit of God used someone in your life, used someone in my life, and they got so close to the sun, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N of God. They got so close to the Son of God, some grandma, some grandpa, some daddy, some mama, some brother, some pastor, some teacher, maybe a co-worker, maybe a colleague at work, got so close to God in their private life that God lit them up, and he made them a travel guide that you have followed to the Savior. And when you saw them, you, you thought there's something different about that person. There's something different about that star. I can't put my finger on it. I can't categorize it, but they're standing out. There's just something different about that person. And when you were in sin, 
When you were lost somewhere, somewhere on drugs and somewhere in pornography and somewhere into deep things of alcohol and drugs. But God in his mercy lit some Christian up rightly in your life. God lit some family member up in your life. And God used them as a travel guide that got you to the Savior. And you would not be here today, but their light was brighter than all the others. In fact, it may be somebody that's in heaven right now. I've got more people waiting over there than I have on this side. And the truth is, if their light had not been bright, then no one would have followed them, including you, including your pastor, including me. There's not a single person here that you'd had, you literally had to follow somebody to the Savior. And I was thinking about how God uses the little things in our lives that happen to us. It's not the big things, gang, that we remember. It's the little things. And I want to ask you as a parent, as a grandparent, I, I want to ask you as a friend and as a Christian, I want to ask you the question, are you hungry enough to get so close to God that he will light you up, that people can follow the light of Jesus in you to the Savior? I thought about my own family and the impact they had on my life as I was growing up. I think about my parents, my grandmother, my, my Uncle Dave, my Uncle Anthony, my Aunt Ellie. Can you humor me a little bit? Let me walk down memory lane with you. Let me tell you about my travel guides. My father sang in a Southern Gospel Quartet with my Uncle Dave all my life growing up. And I remember they bought an old Silver Eagle travel bus back in the 1970s in Southern California. And they pulled out the back half of those seats and they put in bunk beds. And I remember at eight, nine years old, climbing in that bus to go to Southern California quartet conventions. And I would hear them singing all the old hymns of the church. And I'd put my head right in between the four part harmonies. And I would hear them singing, on a hill so far away, stood an old rugged cross. And I'd watch the tears just drop down their face. Little did I know that God was lighting them up as a travel guide that I would follow to the Savior. Little did I know that God was using them in my life. I think about my grandmother who would take me from Long Beach, California to Los Angeles, California to the Shriners Auditorium on the bus because she didn't drive. And she'd say, come on, baby, we're going to church. And I'd say, Mom, you don't drive. And she'd say, that's okay. We're going to church. And we'd get on the bus and we were going to, to, uh, to Angeles Temple in Los Angeles, California because Catherine Kuhlman was holding a revival meeting. And we'd walk on that bus and she'd start singing all the hymns of the church. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Then she'd get down on my knees, her knees and say, just wait till you get there, you're going to feel it. I'd say, feel what? She said, just wait till you get there, you're going to feel it. And we'd get off the bus, we'd walk in and she would look at me and she'd say, do you feel it? I'd say, yeah, what is it? She'd say, that's the presence of God. But your salvation is not based on feeling. Your salvation is based on grace. But isn't it good to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Little did I know that God was lighting her up. And I was going to follow her to the Savior. My Uncle Anthony was Italian. He married into our family. And he was an insurance man. And he would take me with him to go sell insurance. And I was 13, 14 years old, and I would hear his sales pitch so much, I could probably do the sales pitch myself. 
And after he sold him insurance, he would say, let me tell you now about life assurance. And they'd say, what does that mean? And he would share the gospel of Jesus with them. And many times he would pray with those people. And I would sit there and watch him as he would lead them to Christ. And the tears would just drip down his face. And people were getting saved. They would buy life insurance from him, and then they'd get life assurance. Amen? Amen. My uncle, they grew up poor in Puerto Rico. And my uncle Evans had a smile as big as, as all outdoors. And he worked for Sealand Corporation driving diesel trucks. And they were so poor that they, he loved uh, onions, and he would eat raw onions, and his breath always smelled like onions. And he'd kiss you on the head, and he'd say, oh, and he would just smile. And there was not a stranger that my Uncle Evans ever met. Now, I preached his funeral a couple of years ago, and there was hundreds and hundreds of people there. All from his work, he drove diesel trucks. So it was obvious that when the pastor said, we need someone to drive the bus, he waved his hand. And he said, I'll bring and I'll do whatever I can do. Well, that day when I got up there to speak in his funeral, there was hundreds of people there, and they all told me the same thing. They said, Pastor, if there's a greeter at the gates of heaven, your uncle will be standing right there welcoming everybody in. Because after he would drive the bus, he would go stand at the door and greet every single person. And that was his ministry. Little did I know, God was lighting him up, and I was following him to the Savior. And time would fail me if I told you about Sunday school teachers and senior pastors and youth pastors and, and missionaries and people in my church growing up that I watched. Well, there was Brother Nelson Santiago and there was Brother Raymond Neal. And I told you this morning about Gladys Pearson, that she taught us how to pray. And there were so many that had an impact on my life. And now, 35 years later, I'm preaching across the country, really and around the world. Why? Because I had somebody who led me to the Savior. And right now, I think we need to stop and just take a little praise break. And I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right of you and because you have somebody that you can put in that slot that was a shining bright light in your life, a travel guide. Well, there's a young man here tonight that I remember the first time I saw, Craig Sauer. I was, it was in, a, in the public school, and Denny Curran's church was, whole, was having church there, and Craig came with his family. And I'll never forget praying for him in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, filling him with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God's travel guides. Now, right now, I want you to close your eyes and forget the person to the left and to the right, and I want you to think about all those people that have led you to the Savior. And I want you to lift your hands right now and begin to thank God for them, each and every one of them. I want you to be say, just, tell, just audibly open your mouth and say, Lord, thank you for my travel guide. Thank you for them, Lord, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for them, Lord, come on, you need to just begin to praise and thank God for them. God wants you to bless him. God wants you to praise him. God wants you to give him the glory for all the people that spoke into your life because you have somebody. Where would you be if, you did, if they didn't shine bright for Jesus? Where would you be, Lord? In fact, I want you to answer that question to yourself. Where would I be if they didn't shine bright for Jesus? I've often thought about my life. And I asked myself, where would I be if nobody would have been on fire for God in my life? If nobody would have gotten close to the Son of God, that their life had shone so bright that it caught my attention and led me to the Savior. Now listen, you can be that light for your family. 
You can be that light for the people on the job. You can be that light for the young families all around you on your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in the grocery store. You can be that shining light that becomes so starstruck. It's not you. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God in you. The same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again. The three-day dead body of the Lamb of God dwells in you. And you have to decrease that he would increase. And you say, Lord, everywhere I go, I want the love of Jesus to shine through me. Let them see something in me, Lord. Friends, when the Magi and the wise men followed the star, they followed it and they made the decision And they followed it, and they ended up in a stable. They were not expecting to find a king in the stable. That's why they first went to King Herod's palace. They expected to find the king of the universe in a palace. But instead, they followed the star, and it didn't lead them to the palace. It led them to the stable. So what do you do? What do you do when you follow the star and it leads you to the stable. What do you do when you have a dream and you follow Jesus and you think it's going to give you the easy life and happy, successful life with no problems and everything's going to be clear sailing and you're doing everything right, you're praying, you're fasting, you're tithing, you're, the, you're following the ultimate star, Jesus Christ, and Jesus leads you to the stable. See, sometimes we think that if we're not in the palace life, God doesn't love us. If we're not living the palace life with everything coming our way, everything going our way, every blessing hitting our life, that somehow we must not be in the will of God. But the truth is, friend, when you follow the star, Jesus Christ, there are some days, yes, you'll be in the palace. Thank God for them. But most of the time, he's going to lead you to the stable. And God is blessing. But what do you do when you follow him and he leads you to the stable? For instance, how about a couple that's following the star and they pray about it and they decide to get married and everything is wonderful and they love each other. And uh, I officiated my nephew's wedding uh, last year and I told him, Andrew, and her her name is Hannah. I said, Andrew and Hannah, isn't this wonderful? And she's just gushing and she's a gorgeous girl. She's a blonde girl. Oh, this is perfect, Uncle Randy. And the flowers and, and, and the dresses and oh, it's so great. And I go, yeah, it's awesome. Isn't it an awesome day? She goes, yeah, it's awesome. I said, but let me remind you, the same God that made this awesome day also made tornadoes and also made earthquakes and tsunamis. And I know everything is wonderful, and we're holding hands, and you're exchanging vows, and it's picture perfect, and there's friends and family around, and the clothes are perfect, and the flowers are great, and the music is wonderful. But a few years later, let me tell you, you may find yourself in the stable. And she looked at me, and she said, really? I said, yeah, really. Take it from me. I've been married 35 years. Yes. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What do you do when you take all that you own and you follow the star and you pray about it and you start your own business? But the economy shifts. And you follow that star, but you end up in the stable. And now that that economy has shifted, you can't make ends meet. Or what do you do when your health is gone and you're sick and suffering and you end up in the stable? Or the love of your life as you begin to age. Because our bodies change. 
And maybe your spouse of 30 some odd years or 40 years gets an illness and strikes out of nowhere and you're standing there watching. What do you do? What do you do when you end up in the stable and you're following the star? Well, you do what those three wise men did. You look for the king in the stable. Because I've come here today to tell somebody that the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. The God of the good days is still the God of the bad days. He's still the God of the night. He's not just the God on the high days when we're living the high life. You see, there's people in this room listening to me and online right now that God had to get you out of the palace and put you in the stable. Because as long as you were in the palace, you didn't need him. As long as you were in the palace and living the palace life and everything was going wonderful, you didn't need him. So he had to allow you to go into the stables of life so that you can then begin to hunger and thirst for him. And these wise men were wise because they said, I follow the star, and if the star led me to the stable, then I'm going to look for God in the stable. Listen closely, friends. I have found out that you will find Jesus closer and nearer and dearer to you when you are in the stables of life. When you're going through the lowest season of your life. When nothing is going right. Well, that's where you'll find Jesus. I'm saying to someone that the only way that God could have ever had you find Jesus, again, was to get you out of the palace. What others meant for not, God will turn to good. We talked about that this morning. And somehow God can take a mess and turn it around into a message and a testimony for his glory. And God can take the ashes of the stable life and he can bring them to gold. Oh, if you believe what I'm preaching, somebody shout amen. amen. This is what you do. It's in the stables of life that you will sense Jesus closer than he's ever been before. He's closer than he's ever been. What blows my mind is not only did these, men, these wise men search for God in the stable, but when they found themselves in the stable, they offered up expensive worship. They offered up expensive praise. See, the natural inclination would be in this filthy, damp, dirty stable to withhold your best. Saying, I'm not going to give the gold here. I'm not going to give the frankincense and the myrrh here. <laughs> No, 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 this is expensive worship. And this shouldn't be given in a stable. This should be in a palace. So I'm going to give my best worship when everything is going right. Oh, I'll really worship God and thank God. And when, the, when everything is right and the glory of God is right, that's when I, he'll know I really love him. That's when I'll offer up all my expensive worship. But these wise men were wise enough to say, if God is in the stable, then we're going to give our best worship in unpleasant circumstances. We're going to worship in unpleasant situations. And what you need to learn is to worship God, not only when you are in the palace life, but when you're in the stables of life. If you can learn to give the best praise in unpleasant circumstances, you'll see God move like you've never seen him move before. They began to worship with expensive worship in a nasty, filthy place. Friends, don't miss this. The worship that God really looks for in life is not when you're in the palace. Anybody can worship when they're in the palace. Anybody can worship when things are going great. No, but God looks for the best worship when you're in the stable, when you don't know what the future holds, 
and your life is shattered. And you don't know where your job is going to come from. And you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. And all you can do is look back on your life and see how God has been faithful. I'm not calling you or asking you to do something I don't live myself. We operate by faith. I have no idea what comes in the offerings. And we've lived that way for 34 years. I have no idea what's coming in the offering this weekend. And in the natural, you look at it and go, Lord, we're in the stable. What are we going to do? You offer up expensive worship. You offer up expensive praise. He supplied every need for 35 years. My God is still going to supply the need. And just when things almost go wrong, listen to me, just when you're about to go down, it's in those times that God will light somebody up so bright that it'll catch your attention. And suddenly, God will begin to move in your life. And you'll say, okay, Lord, you've always been faithful. And God will begin to maneuver you around all the devil's well-laid plans, plans that were meant to kill you, plans that were meant to hurt you. And that's what drives people on the job crazy, because they think they got you hemmed in. You're advancing, and God is moving in your life. The favor of God is pouring in your life. You're following the star, and you're offering up worship wherever you are, whether it's the palace or the stable. God sees your heart, and he begins to move and bless you. And they say, wait a second. We almost had him. It drives the devil crazy. I almost had him. But somehow, some way, the Lord moved him around. The Lord moved him this way or moved him that way. And now he's being blessed again. How many can testify that God has done that in your life? Yeah, you offer up the best praise, and you're more than a conqueror. And God says, I'm going to get you out of this if you keep following the star, and I'm going to raise you up. I've got great plans for you, plans to give you a hope, and plans to give you a future. Then you will kneel at the foot of the cross, and you'll give God all the glory and all the praise. And if you'll draw close to me, I will put my light inside of you, and I will raise you up that your children and your grandchildren can follow you to the Savior. Isn't that an awesome word? Lord, light me up and bring me to the Savior. Lord, that they would see the presence of God in me. They'd see the glory of God in me. Well, how do I do it, Randy? You start by offering up that praise. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship him. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I do know that God will honor your worship. And I want you to give them the best worship. Because sometimes you find yourself in a situation that's difficult. Have you ever felt like you were on the bottom floor of a two-story outhouse? And things are piling up all around? And you say, Lord, I can't get out of this. And all of a sudden the light turns on and you realize you've been standing by the stairs the whole time. And you gently just start walking up out of it. And you start praising him. I'll never forget, my grandmother was in her late 80s, early 90s, and she's about to pass. A hospice had come, and I was there preaching in Southern California at a conference, and I called my aunt, and I said, can I sleep with Grandma one more time? She goes, well, mijo, that's fine, but, you know, you pray loud, and, and, and she needs to sleep. And I said, yes, I know, but she's my travel guide that I follow to the Savior. And they had brought a hospital bed into the house because she said, when Jesus comes to get me, I don't want to be in some hospital. 
I want to be in my own bedroom, my own house. And my grandmother had severe arthritis, and her heart was five times its normal size, and she'd had several strokes, and her face was palsied. But when I was a child, she would pray this way, Oh, Lord. And she would name all of her children. She had six. And she'd call their name out before God. And then she would call out the grandchildren. And then she would call out the in-laws. And she'd say, kill them, God. No. She wasn't perfect. And then she would chuckle and laugh. And she'd say, no, Lord, don't kill them. Just save them. And then she would start to worship. And I could close my eyes today, and I could hear her singing in Spanish, and then in English, and then a heavenly language. She used to sing, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. He's my master and my savior, my Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. And the presence of the Lord just, I'd sit there and watch my travel guide. Jesus, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim. And she'd lift her hands, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. And she would just worship. And she would just go to prayer. But now she's had several strokes and her face was palsied and her lips were hanging down and her heart was five times its normal size. And she was all shriveled up in that bed. And it was the middle of the night. I already was married, and I already had two sons, and I was really launched off in my ministry. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I heard, oh, Lord. And I sat up in that bed, that little cot next to her hospital bed, and I looked over. And her fingers were straight. Her face was no longer palsied. She had her hands lifted, and she was sitting up in that bed, and she was smiling, and she was singing, Jesus. Jesus, there's just something about that name. And then she would sing in Spanish, Me ha tocado, si me ha tocado, ahora sé que el Salvador sana, salva, viene por mí, me ha tocado. Cristo en Señor, he touched me, oh, he touched me, and all oh, the joy that floods my soul. In a difficult circumstance, she was offering up expensive worship. And then she started calling all the kids by name. And she called her grandkids, and she would call her children, and I would say, she would say, oh, Lord, let Randy sing and preach for the glory of God. I said, Mom, I do. I do. And then when she finished, her fingers gnarled, her face palsied. She laid back down in that bed, and the Holy Spirit whispered, you just got a glimpse of a glorified body. 
One of these days, friends, I'm going to see Jesus. But before I get there, I want to learn to offer up expensive worship in difficult circumstances. I'm going to follow the star, and if he leads me to the stable, I'm going to worship him with everything I got. And I don't know what some of you are going through, but some of you are looking back at me, and the tears are starting to flow, and I'm realizing that you're having to worship God in the stables of life, in the difficulties and the hardships. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and I'm going to ask you to begin to worship him, and we're going to make this whole room just a worship place. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and lift your voice and just begin to worship God. I want you to offer up the best worship in difficult situations. Just so you know you're not alone. At the count of three, if you're in a difficult situation that you have to learn to worship God in the circumstances, when I count to three, you just lift your hands. Are you ready? One, two, three, right now, right now, if that's you. Yeah, look around. You're not alone. You're not alone. I want you to look for Jesus in the stable. He's right here. And if you will listen, God will whisper to you and he'll say, I'm working things out for your good. And you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. And I'm going to put my peace of God that passes all understanding in your life. And if you'll keep worshiping and get close to me, I'll light you up. So that's what we're going to do.